Welcome to Manufacturing Mastery with Graham Fitzgerald, the podcast. My name's Graham Fitzgerald, and for over 30 years, I've led some of Australia's largest manufacturing organisations, riding the highs and lows, the occasional failure, and the plentiful successes that inevitably come with being in business. This podcast is aimed at helping you, the progressive Australian manufacturer, with practical, current, and real-world advice on navigating your pathway to sustainable success in manufacturing. Myself and my special guests will cover everything from how to embed a planning framework into your business, new approaches to innovation, the importance of culture and how to lead change, and navigating the new normal as an Australian manufacturer. So manufacturers, let's master it. In today's podcast, I'm joined by Bruce Hegan, a client, who's about achieving success in the launch of market-leading products and developing new-to-the-world solutions in the high-speed world of radio frequency identification labels and tag converting. Bruce has extensive experience in the world of printing and RFID products. He is someone who understands the nuances of manufacturing and applying simplified thinking to what can be a very complex industry. Bruce is a Kiwi with a very non-traditional background. He calls himself a simple farmer, but this man has uh, created a market-leading, internationally recognised business in the rapidly growing and developing RFID conversion world. And his unique approach has created a forward-thinking team that has grown rapidly at 4AD Solutions in the New South Wales Central Coast. Today's theme is delivering a product uh, leadership strategy. The theme for the podcast has come from the development being achieved by Bruce and his team as, they, as I've assisted them over the last few years. My goal in this, uh, this year's season is to speak with manufacturers who are delivering and living the dream of success in Australian manufacturing. The application of technology is widely recognised as a key element required for success in the world today. Technology, however, is not the holy grail for achieving success. Time or speed uh, is another factor, uh, along with innovation and agility to respond and change in a rapidly evolving world. When I was able to convince uh, Bruce to give me a small amount of his time to share some of his lessons and journey, it was an obvious connection to what I expect will be an inspiring uh, and insightful discussion uh, for many listeners as they think about how they approach the opportunities provided to them around technology and being internationally competitive. In our time together, I hope um, we can share some of the uh, secrets that um, making uh, achieving success possible and sustainable as we continue to uh, live the dream of rapid in a rapidly changing world. Welcome, Bruce, to Manufacturing Mastery. Thank you very much, Graham. That's uh, thank you for um, finally we're finally able to, to find <laughs> some time to sit down and have a chat. Um, and uh, I know it's been a little bit of a journey. Um, with your travels overseas and uh, the the successes you've been having there. So I look forward to just sharing a few things with people. Um, So if we can just have a conversation, uh, I've got a few questions here that will help us to stay on track and uh, try and make it interesting for uh, our listeners. So can you share with us um, a bit about uh, your journey that, um, and particularly 
with respect to the time with 4ID Solutions. I understand that you are passionate about all aspects of RFID conversion and it would be great to understand what has shaped you uh, to have this passion. Yeah, thanks, Graham. Um, 4ID Solutions is actually officially um, called RFID and print, but we trade as 4ID Solutions for obvious marketing reasons. Um, RFID and print was born as a result of a conversation with a lead turner in in South Australia in about 2000. Mm. Um, The company was formed in 2003, but we didn't actually start any uh, production or I didn't work full time for the company until 2005. Lee Turner has been a great inspiration and a mentor to me along the way and Lee sadly passed away about a week ago. Mm. And he'll be sadly missed. I guess my first uh, passion, first and foremost, was to ensure long-term employment. And to this day, I'm not absolutely sure that starting a company is a good way, <laughs> a good way to do that. We were a typical small business. We were undercapitalized, and we had an approach of tending to throw mud at a wall, hoping hoping some would would stick. I guess the biggest problem was that we there was no blueprint for RFID converting at the time. Um, there weren't any other RFID converters in Australia. So so basically, we wanted to, or my my aspiration was to apply RFID tags and hide them in things like labels and and wristbands Uh, and we wanted to develop processes um, that would enable us to be to the forefront of the industry I I had limited knowledge of the industry itself I guess I saw that as an opportunity because if nobody else was doing it I might be starting on on an equal um, footing but we didn't actually convert any tags for two years. And, and the reason for that, there just wasn't um, a local market. And so instead of converting RFID tags, we were making um, barcoded wristbands and other credentials for um, theme parks, music festivals, and, and more entertainment uh, venues. And it wasn't where I actually wanted to be, but I saw it as a vehicle to get to where I wanted to yep. or, or hoped to. And, and music festivals um, started to move towards what they call cashless events, where a wristband would have an RFID tag, and that RFID tag would become your credit card. So you would buy um, <coughs> food, you would buy merchandise, and so you'd leave your wallet at home and just wear a wristband. So that got you into the festival and uh, provided you with access to easy cash. Um, and the, our clients found that they improved their turnovers significantly or their revenue significantly by having that readily available access um, to cash. So at long last, we'd found our first um, RFID client. And it was still a journey, though, because um, it hasn't been until re- more recently when since COVID that we've actually found a lot of clients uh, in the in Australia and we're producing RFID products now within Australia for the first time in reasonable volumes um, and I think one of the issues we found earlier on that it wasn't hard to get a project going but it was difficult to actually find a meaningful uh, client that had oh, sorry, 
don't mean so much meaningful client, but a project that, that was sustainable. Yeah. Uh, and that we could grow and learn. Scalable, that was sufficient. Yes, yeah. because yeah. I, I think that the, the equipment that we started out with is vastly different to the equipment that we have now. And that was a growth in developing. And in fact, a lot of our equipment that we have here now, we developed it specifically for our own purposes and, and it's grown. So we've got yeah. some machines here that version three is on the go now and version one might have been a, a, a device that was a few meters long but now they're 10 meters long yeah, okay. and, and they're vastly vastly different um, with all sorts of technologies um, on the, the way through we did have to learn our craft the hard way as a result of there being no no platform from which to model ourselves on so we did things the hard way so from an Australian perspective, you really were in that first mover, early adopter, innovation. Yes, um, yes. I, I think that there were a lot of solutions. Yeah. I think there were one or two products that we've developed that we were yeah. probably the first um, to do it. And, and we have a couple of products now that are unique to us and one of them in particular uh, doesn't have a patent on it. We don't have a patent on it. It's just very, very difficult to do. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess we moved into a product where we wanted to fanfold yeah. a particular product. Uh, there was no way of doing it at the time. So we had a team of eight people, part-time workers, hand fanfolding. It was wow. no way was it duplicatable. It wasn't mm. sustainable. But that's what we had to do. So off that, we modelled a, uh, a piece of equipment we had made in Canada, and now we can fan fold at you know 100 metres a minute if, if our machine... If that's required, yeah. Yeah, so it's changed. Um, but there were one or two of the early products that we were recognised as uh, being the, the first in. Um, full uh, coloured wristbands was one, single wristbands were another. Um, so... Yeah, our markets were mainly in the early days uh, into North America. <clears throat> um, we did a lot of the uh, theme parks around here in Australia, but it was nearly all export. And today we still export more than we uh, um, sell locally. Uh, but it's uh, we're hoping that that is going to change with the increase in adoption. So I, I guess the... Um what I find intriguing is that RFID, the radio frequency identification, has been around as a technology for many years since since the World Second World War. Yes, at the end of the the, the, the late forties, sort of mm. thing. Um, what is it about that excited you? Why? What was it attract? What was the attraction? Because you were in printing, weren't you, before? What was the attraction? I was, and, I was, where where do you see the opportunities are heading? Yeah. I was I was involved in the printing industry from the perspective that I was doing some quality assurance work for a company right. and and I did see uh, an opportunity there. What excited me in talking to Lee Turner about RFID is the fact that it has the product each tag has its own unique ID. It's automatic recognition, so a tag could be inside a box and you can scan it from the outside of the box. Um, no need for batteries. Um, it can be hidden securely. 
Um, uh, I think that uh, multiple tags can be read at once. It's got a whole host of of different attributes. Um, but one of the things that, that I, I found most intriguing, intriguing with the technology was the fact that you could have, say, a carton of eggs, a 700-gram carton of eggs, and there could be hundreds of thousands of those cartons of eggs in a store. But then once you put a tag on that uh, carton of eggs, they all of a sudden have an entity of their own. And so then you can start tracking um, uh, the uh, which farm they came from, the day they're collected, who which transport truck bought them in, and, and all sorts of things. And I just found it was intriguing, intriguing that a mass item could all of a sudden be identified as an individual and have its own uh, history. I, I, I think that the future, there's all sorts of opportunities now where they're putting... Um, readers inside fridges they're putting them on drones so that you could scan items into your fridge i mean yeah i think that we're in europe that's a big deal over here it's not but the idea of putting an rfid reader on a drone and reading over a car lot just doing an inventory control or, or or other mass items and it's just a very very cost effective way to identify something, um, and when we talk about identifying something, it could be for up to 10 years or 100,000 scans. So, so these little flexible tags have a long life. They're passive. The uh, There's two different versions that we have. One can be read by a mobile phone, so all mobile phones now, or the late model ones, all have NFC readers. And so you can read a tag with a, a mobile phone and, and track where it was scanned and when it was scanned and all the bits and pieces. And I, I think now what's causing that resurgence or the sudden interest in, in RFID is the fact that it's compatible with a lot of other technologies, such as the mobile phone, and, and there's a lot of other opportunities. And um, So some of those emerging technologies are enabling to actually become more useful now than very, it was, very much so. say, 50 I mean, years ago. Yes, apps and things yeah. like that. People can write apps for various applications, and and it's just, it, it comes in, it's now, the technology is now in the hands of the average person, and so everybody's got the... So so whilst your, your emerging development of the, the company was really... Overseas, do you see that the um, the scale of the technology will be relevant in Australia as we move forward? I think it will. Yes, yeah. I think that in the US, for instance, Walmart they've mandated several years ago that that uh, all items that came into a Walmart store that the pallet had to be have an RFID tag on it, and then a couple of years later it was okay. Every box on top of the pallet had to have a tag inside it. And now they're mandating that uh, all the contents inside the box has to have an RFID tag on it. And the beauty of this technology, as the forklift is driving the pallet, you can actually interrogate what's inside the boxes and read it sight unseen. And and those sort of, it makes it a very cost-effective but compelling technology. And, And there are a lot of other uses. I mean, there's one store I visited in the U.S., where they were displaying shoes on the uh, wall and they put a, a reader, a little tiny HF reader, under 
the shoe that uh, under the, the the platform that the yeah. shoe was sitting on on the wall, and they were trying to determine which shoe was interesting for people. So when they took it off, oh, okay, right. okay. the tag recorded that the shoe's now been yeah. taken away, yeah. and they were able to um, monitor not only which shoe was the most appealing, but they were matching that against which shoe sold the most of. And so they were doing some marketing research yeah, so there's some on, clever, on the store. Yeah, so, so it's not... You know, I can see the, the logic and the, the benefit in inventory and inventory control and you know, the fact that many, many industries and businesses lose a lot of um, money through theft or loss or damage, that... That probably pays for itself in the first place, and then these new things are just cream on top. Is that right? I think that uh, yeah, the the uh, industry reports on some of the bigger um, adoptions have shown that the inventory control are being able to know exactly when stock moves and where it moved to and when it came in. Um, That was reasonably um, exciting, but. Uh, the future for for ID is working with um, RFID tags with enabled sensors in it, and so w- using those sensors, you could um, it could be wastewater, it could be a blood, or it could be a fertilizer sample, or, or something, and and you can uh, uh, a- apply whatever you're testing onto the sensor, and they're all sensors are all different, and and use your mobile phone to scan it and a proprietary app would see the information recorded go up to the cloud for analysis and within a minute or so you would have it um, back to your phone so that would only apply to um, you know there would be a lot of faster options mm-hmm. around but it is unique that it would put it in the hands of somebody that was uh, a you and me so that, that easy to use um is one of the attractions that it's actually ready to go now sort of thing as you see it and it's just the the imagination is really the the limitation to what it could be used for. Agreed and the fact that uh, it interacts so well with other technologies as well and and the fact that some of these can be used I mean there there are two types of RFID that we use HF which is more a similar type of frequency to your credit card, so it's touch and go. Um, whereas the UHF technology, you can read a, a tag on a box many, many meters away, um, and and if there's contents inside the box, have the tags on. So it's a very versatile technology, particularly combined with uh, some of the the newer technologies. I mean, the mobile phone has been the amazing, yeah. the single biggest enabler. Are you looking to grow your manufacturing business and need some support to achieve your goals? My Manufacturing Mastermind Group is a great place to start. This exclusive group receives monthly worksheets and guidance around the five key principles of manufacturing growth. There's a monthly live virtual Q&A session and a live mentoring call with a Mastermind member where we troubleshoot the business challenge of the day. Plus, this group comes together on a quarterly basis for a one-day workshop ensure accountability in the delivery of your business growth plan. Find out more by visiting grahamfitzgerald.com.au slash mastermind. So Bruce, um, 4ID uh, Solutions have a history of supplying innovative market-leading products to their customers in disrupting markets. 
Innovation is a word uh, so frequently used that uh, I think it's starting to lose its uh, meaning uh, with everybody claiming to, uh, to be developing an innovation culture. Could you share with, uh, with us uh, what your experiences are with uh, the difference between continuous uh, improvement and innovation and uh, what you see uh, as being the critical factors for success in innovation? I think the two are inextricably linked, particularly from my air perspective anyway, because most of our innovations stem from the continual improvement process. And if you're continually looking for improvement, you'll stumble across something that requires a complete rework of your processes in order to deliver a unique feature. And to to us, that's innovation. Um, an example is a, re- is a recent high-speed converting press we installed, and this high-speed is a double-edged sword in our game because if everything's going right, then speed is great, but if there's something going wrong, then it becomes a real killer. Um, the, the machines can run at, uh, well, they can run me- hundreds, 100 metres a minute. We would be picking on around 30 to 40 metres a minute as an ideal converting speed. Some guys go a lot faster than that uh, overseas, but we deliver uh, a lot more accuracy, um, I believe. But recently we received a shipment of several million inlays that had an intermittent fault, and this intermittent fault meant that the inlays worked sometimes and they didn't others, and it's all about how the inlay was manufactured, and if it's not um, 100% accurate, the little chip inside that contains the smart moves a little bit, and so it'll short out. Yep. And that is, for a converter, the worst possible thing, because if somebody's got uh, money on their chip and it, it stops working, they can do something about it. But if it works sometimes and not others, that is just a real killer. So this... Fault, there were 10 million inlays in this... Uh, 10 million. 10 million. And, and we had uh, a conniption over yep. this, and we thought this had the potential to cost us a small fortune. So the team here decided that we needed to understand our processes better in real time. Uh, and instead of waiting a day or two from when we manufacture to when we go through inspecting, we needed to know instantaneously when, uh, if there was something going wrong. Um, so we we developed, by this continual improvement process, we looked to develop a, a program that would give us this instantaneous assessment of our yields, um, our returns to understand whether there was any issues with the Um, uh, perforation or any of the inputs we put into it so we looked at this safeguard product so we decided that we needed to put readers throughout the machine uh, and even when the inlays first come in we create a file and so we know the the id of every tag that comes into the place and that's probably quite extreme for an RFID converter, but now... So my understanding is that coming from a different manufacturing world, monitoring the process is something that's relatively common. But in the RFID, high-speed transactional thing, what you're saying is that's not something that really has been that common before. Not not really. Um, I, I think that what we wanted to get it down to, though, was... 
We wanted to monitor all the inputs. So if we right. have a master role that goes onto the machine, we want to scan that onto the machine. At the same time, the inlays, the RFID inlays were put on so that basically, look, the end bring, result bring is... Bring all the information together. Bring it all together, but we would we wanted to be able to deliver a process, or we can deliver a process, where a tag of ours could be scanned anywhere in the world and we would know the time it was manufactured, the master roll it came from, the pot of ink that was used, the adhesive batch, or any of the anomalies on the way through. And it was a difficult thing to monetize because, you know... Everybody expects when you're delivering something to them, they're going to deliver 100%. But we found that there's a lot of extra values that can be obtained. Uh, but the number one is our customers would have the surety that if we know what we're doing. Um, but it's actually grown a little bit now yeah. because we have some uh, manufacturing or some aspirations to have some manufacturing uh, overseas but we could actually monitor uh, in real time what's actually happening on those presses from anywhere in the world as long as you've got wi-fi you're you're in business and so we're keen to uh, very excited about that so the the innovation um, that came from a continuous improvement mindset but it was you had to jump to applying solutions and um, technologies that maybe hadn't been developed yet or integrated into a system yet. Is that right? Yeah, I think that a lot of the stuff that we've ever done hasn't been inventive as much as it's uh, identifying existing processes and modifying them for what our... And applying what are your systems. Yes. Wow. So I I think that, um, yeah, a a lot of the... One of the products that, that we... Um, stumbled across was uh, we everybody makes wristbands and sheets of tin and and we decided that we wanted to make a, a product as a single just a single wristband and that came about by a U2 concert where the promoter said you know I've got to get 400,000 wristbands and do you know how many people I've got to employ to, to tear them apart and so we decided that we wanted to work out a way that we can um, uh, put them in a, a single and put them into a cartridge. And our guys, the first time we did it, it was like confetti coming off the end of the press. These <laughs> things went everywhere. But through selection of materials and persistence and patience, um, our guys can do it now. And uh, it's it's one of the things the unique things that we couldn't it was difficult for us to take a patent out on it at the time um, but a couple of other companies have tried to do it but nobody's been able to emulate it uh, so it's a, a, a mixture of uh, materials um, innovative thinking that comes into it so innovation is really bringing all those things together mm. to find the solution that um, the end customer finds valuable Yes, yes. Well, it's an ideal market space for us. Yeah. um, Yeah. If you're wanting tailored one-to-one coaching for fast results, perhaps my mentoring service is the option you need. This package includes two one-to-one sessions each month and a weekly accountability call, as well as access to the growing network of members in the Mastermind Group. Find out more by visiting grahamfitzgerald.com.au forward slash mentoring or contact me directly via the form on my website, 
to understand how I can best help you grow your business. So, so part of my podcast is um, really aimed at providing the listeners with uh, something that they can take away uh, and look to implement in their own business. So as a practitioner with uh, responsibility for achieving real uh, business results, um, can you share with, uh, with us uh, one of your greatest challenges uh, in developing the business uh, with product leadership and uh, at the centre of, you know, with product leadership being the centre of your approach to delivering uh, success, can you share how you've tackled that uh, challenge and what's, what's uh, the, the greatest lessons? Our, our greatest challenge has always been the distance from the, the real markets, which was in the US. Um, and, you know, in the US, they like buying from US companies and buying from Australia was always a difficult one. So initially, when we first started out, there were some lonely trips to the US trying, yep. to, trying to get that one um, to work. And up until COVID, uh, we did very little converting here in Australia, and our markets was always offshore. And the US can be, or North America generally, can be a very, very unforgiving market. And so we had to develop some processes that were unique um, at a comparable price, and and that had to be uh, delivered in a in a timely manner. And we we thought that our best advantage was. Uh, uh, to being able to deliver or develop our processes so that we could be competitive time-wise. And so we're not necessarily the most cost-effective, but we definitely are the fastest at delivering and are recognised as such. And one of our um, really unique contracts is with a, a group of uh, nightclubs in New York and they invariably take on events during the week and so they don't know all that far in advance who's going to be attending or which event is going to be how it's going to be branded so we would frequently receive orders at uh, first thing on monday morning when we arrive at work there would be an order it would be put together on their sunday afternoon Uh, but we would have until friday of the same week um, to manufacture, put them on a plane, and thanks to our friends at DHL, it it's works more often than it's not. We do get caught occasionally, but uh, nine times out of ten, uh, they will arrive there on Friday for a show that weekend, and we're recognised for being able to deliver that. It's not a, it's a good way to start a company. It's not entirely <laughs> sustainable, particularly if you get into some of the bigger volumes and the yeah. bigger events. Um, but it's a process that to this day the team understand that work that goes onto this one machine is going to be require a completely unrealistic uh, delivery frame. But that has helped shape our innovation. The staff react to it well. They understand, and it's it's orderly and it's controlled. The first few ones, the first few deliveries is a little bit like the confetti coming off the machine when we're trying the singles, but uh, I'm very proud of the team for how they respond um, to that, that so, style of thing. So one of the, the big challenges there was that ability to bring the whole team to be able to do something that many people would say is impossible. 
I, I think that when we're starting out and your company's small, yes, you yeah. can do crazy things. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've driven stuff through the night yeah. to, to, to secure the theme parks in the Gold yeah. Coast, for yeah. instance. Um, but now it's more difficult. Uh, you know, when we had uh, eight employees, the, the methodology for running the business has changed quite considerably now where we've got, you know, three times that number yeah. of staff. And yeah. so that needs to evolve with it. So. What we do now, we would prefer not to have those time-critical yeah. um, yeah. jobs. It's good to keep everybody on their toes, but I think that we would prefer to be the more structured approach. So I, I guess really um, that leads me into my last question, is that um, you know, you've got a state-of-the-art manufacturing facility here. You've got um, you know installed new uh, equipment that... Uh, provides the capability to, to deliver you know, 100% um, identification of your products, your product, your safeguard project. Um, what is it that um, you would share with our listeners that would be your, your greatest lesson in um, enabling you to achieve your successful business growth that you've achieved over the last two or three years? What's um, what are, what's that been that lesson and how is it influencing you today as you move forward? Um, for 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 me, it's the culture of the company. Um, I four ID exists because of our wonderful workforce. We've got so much talent, and what I'm really proud of is that we compete against companies that are you know. 10 times bigger than what we are and they're full of engineers um, but through uh, we'll call it Anzac ingenuity uh, <laughs> we can keep uh, a foot with them uh, and in fact in some instances uh, we've secured major international contract uh, because of our ability to deliver on time uh, and and all that's come about by our, the processes we learned earlier on by doing it the hard way. Now we've got really good equipment. Um, but uh, Kath and I, we believe, Kath's my fellow director and wife, and we believe it's our role to foster and nurture the talent um, to the benefit of both parties. Because what I know about printing and converting per se is pretty pretty minuscule but we've got a lot of talent and collectively we we can make the grade and the so the the culture of the company has been the utmost importance and it's in the last five years that we've really focused on uh, the culture being the key to our expansion and, and being able to maintain uh, but as i mentioned our approach so how would you describe that culture what is it what is it that that the culture, if it's how things are done around here, what is it? What's that culture? Oh, I think everybody understands the, the end goal and yep. and the importance that, that everybody's got a different job. But that's a slow process mm-hmm. to actually yep. get yep. Uh, everybody on track with that because uh, over a two-year period, we virtually had another 20-odd uh, people come mm-hmm. into the company mm-hmm. and it's difficult to maintain. I'm not saying difficult, you just have to be consciously aware of it all the time. But for me, the key to it, if if I can get 100% out of everybody on the way through, I'm three parts done. And so we don't always get it right, but it's a a huge focus for us. And uh, the company will fund any educational program that the staff members wish to go on. And we've had a... uh, 
a team member who's graduated from the MBA program yep. just recently, and we've got two members that are doing special courses. So we do encourage them to move up and replace themselves. And I'm always concerned if I think somebody might be protecting their position and, and that's uh, natural, but, yeah. but, you know, it's, uh, um, yeah, as staff are very important. Right. And I guess that, you know, we've been talking a little bit about leadership development. So that's one of those things that you're looking to invest in your team. Oh, yes, absolutely. <clears throat> that's become a priority even for yeah. my, myself because I think that uh, – my role has changed uh, quite a lot, and uh, our GM Trevor, he's initiated uh, a, a mental health program yep. Um, yep. as a support tool. But it's it's all about everybody recognizing that everybody's in a different spot, and in order to contribute, everybody is going to get there a different way. But uh, we'll we'll do this. Uh, um, we work with several consultants as well yep. that advise yourself included yep. um, and and I think that a lot of the, the outside support is good for us to all reflect on on where we're at and take advice and understand that people do it a different way because we're in a very insular industry where there's not a lot of discussion about techniques or how you do things so, so really your, your lesson is Continue to evolve and invest in your people because that's where the the, the essence of the company is. Is that, that yes? Is that fair enough? And I, yeah. it is. And yeah. I, I think that a lot of the products and a lot of the things that we do are going to become commoditized, so, yeah. so that people will see, ah, oh, this is a good idea. And I've seen that happen before. Um, so I think that maintaining a culture of innovation is just. It's vital to what we are, and I've got the most magnificent team of people here. They really are, you know, people from all walks of life that have come together and are genuinely excited about uh, participating in, in a different industry. Mm-hmm. Well, Bruce, I, I know um, if um, people hear the passion in your voice uh, as we're, we're discussing this, um, it's absolutely the case. Uh, now, we could probably talk for for another two hours around um, your your business and what makes it tick and uh, and uh, the things that are required for success in manufacturing. Um, I love the opportunity to learn from people about how they're creating world-class businesses, particularly in Australia, and uh, it's probably a good uh, place for us to wrap things up. If people wanted to make contact with you, how? what's the best way for them to uh, reach out and uh, make contact with you to follow up? Oh, probably through you or, or on our website. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most welcome to, to, you know, we don't see ourselves as special. Because uh, are you I'm on LinkedIn? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so maybe um, if uh, people wanted to reach out uh, to you on LinkedIn, it would be a good place to start, say Bruce Hegan uh from australia (laughs) from uh rfid and print or 4id solutions yeah 4id solutions the the right place Um, thank you for for your time and uh, the insights today thank you very much graham appreciate the opportunity thank you for being part of this week's episode it was great to have you i'm always keen to hear your thoughts questions, ideas and suggestions for future topics for the podcast. So please get in touch through my Facebook page, Graham Fitzgerald, Manufacturing Growth Specialist, my LinkedIn page or via my website, grahamfitzgerald.com.au. That's G-R-A-E-M-E fitzgerald.com.au. If you're enjoying what I'm putting out here, please rate, review or subscribe to the podcast 
so more manufacturers can find out about it and we can build our community of masterminds manufacturing in this great nation. Talk to you soon.